0: Years ago, I read a statistic that the closer real estate is located to a body of water, the more valuable it becomes. We are drawn to water. This past week, when we were in Virginia Beach, uh, since the time we lived there, I was just amazed at how many more subdivisions I saw. And uh, the section we were in down on Sandbridge... Everywhere you look, they either was a cottage or they were building one. In this county, uh, the most valuable real estate is around Smith Mountain Lake, all kinds of subdivisions going in there. Why is it that we are so drawn to water? I think the reason is because we associate, whether it's the ocean or rivers or lakes, with tranquility and with peace. To be able to sit and just look at a body of water causes us to relax, and you just sort of drink it in as the water is at peace, it sets us at peace. There was a song we used to sing when I was growing up, it went like this, I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. And that song sort of expressed the desire that we all have to have peace. Peace in our individual lives and peace in our families. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit of God to produce peace in us. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. We're going to look today at a fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of peace... And then we're going to look at a lady's life that I told the kids about, Hannah, and how she went from a place in life of no peace to a place of knowing the peace of God. Now, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to produce what the Bible calls and identifies in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, as the fruits of the Spirit. And as I've said to you before, all of us have some gifts of the Spirit, usually two or three. Some folks have more. But the Spirit of God does not give to every believer all of the gifts of the Spirit, but the Spirit of God does work at producing in us all the fruits of the Spirit. And we've looked at some of those fruits. The first we looked at was the fruit of love. Love is having a commitment to people that is undying a love that comes from God. The next fruit we looked at was the fruit of joy. Joy we saw as an inward response to the presence and work of God around us. And then today we're going to look at peace. Now, peace is far more than just the absence of conflict. But the fruit of the Spirit, these are states of life, states of mind, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Now, since the first of the year, we have been examining the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to manifest in our lives. The evidence of His work in our life are these fruits. And so, He's going to work in us to produce peace in us. So how do I know that I'm filled with the Spirit? How do I know that I'm under the control, the discipline of the Holy Spirit? Well, one of the key ways that I know that is that God is producing this peace in us. Now, what is this peace? As I said earlier, it's not just the absence of conflict. And my sermon outline is contained in the back of your bulletin. Follow along, if you will. The concept of peace in the New Testament draws off the Old Testament concept of peace, which is around a word called Shalom. Shalom. In fact, to this day, when Jewish folks greet each other, they will often say the word shalom or peace to you. Now, what is this peace, this shalom? It is the idea of wholeness and completeness. A person who has the peace of God in their life is a person who lives their life with wholeness and with completeness. There is also a sense of harmony that my life is working together there's a certain harmony inside of me that's causing my life to work together. It has the idea of basically being at rest deep down on the inside of us and being contented. How many people can honestly say in life, I am content? Our whole culture works with us to make sure that we're not content. Just go home and You know, or turn on your phone and watch some commercials. And they'll make you discontent till you get whatever it has that's supposed to make you content. But we struggle with that sense of contentment. But the idea of God's peace is that He creates a sense of completeness in us, a sense of wholeness in us. He's put us all together, and life is moving in harmony. Now, how does that peace start? How does that shalom start in our lives? Well, first of all, it begins at being at peace with God. It is a peace that He produces in our lives. You see, Jesus came, as we just sang about, and He gave His life and His blood to create for us the opportunity for us to have peace with God. He took all the estrangement and the fighting with us and God on Himself, on the cross, to create within us a wholeness and a completeness that we have with God. And folks, we're never going to know what true wholeness and completeness and harmony is in life apart from Jesus Christ. Because it is the work of Jesus to produce within us that sense of... Hey, it's okay between us and God. Doesn't mean it's perfect between us and God. Doesn't mean we have become perfect. But I know that Jesus has taken the sin out. Jesus has taken the punishment. Jesus has taken care of the estrangement. He has created a bridge between God and between you and me. He stands in between. He connects us to God, and I can be at peace with God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has settled everything in his life, his death, and his resurrection. But it doesn't stop there. I begin to live that peace out. You see, when I get up from knowing Jesus as my Savior, He is working in my life every day to produce that peace in me, and I have the opportunity every day to begin to live out the peace of God. And that happens as my life begins to move into alignment with God's purpose for me. Now, God's purpose for you... Please write this down. God's purpose for you fundamentally, basically, is to live in a close relationship with Jesus. God's purpose, ultimate, final purpose for us is to live in a close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not so much what we do as it is who we are and who we are becoming. In Scripture, we experience that peace in His presence It's even in the Bible associated with a sound night's sleep. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3 says, He, speaking of the Lord, will keep us in perfect peace, complete peace, whose mind is focused or stayed on you because He trusts in you. You see, as I place my trust in Him every day, as I trust Him with circumstances, situations, relationships, whatever I'm facing, and I keep my mind stayed on Him, focused on Jesus, then He produces that peace in us. So how does the Holy Spirit produce peace in us? I keep my mind stayed on Jesus. I keep my focus on the Lord Jesus. And as I focus on Him, His peace is produced in my life. Now, I want us to look at a lady in the Bible, in the Old Testament, named Hannah, who struggled to have this peace. In fact, her journey to inner peace began in the midst of turmoil. 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. As you turn there, let me give you the context of the day. Israel was having a difficult time. Corruption had reached all the way to the temple. Eli was the priest of the temple, but his sons were about as corrupt as they could be. And this little lady, Hannah, was a devout servant of the Lord. She was a rural lady. No one really knew much about her. She goes up to the temple to pray. In fact, she is the only female in the Old Testament whose prayer is recorded in the temple. And God is demonstrating through her life His ability to engineer life through very difficult circumstances. Now, the event that we're going to read here takes place near what we know today as modern-day Tel Aviv. Of course, it wasn't Tel Aviv in those days, but if you want to associate it with a current city, it wasn't too far from modern-day Tel Aviv. First Samuel chapter 1, there was a certain man of Rathahem, Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tuhu, the son of Zuth, and Ephratite. Back in those days, they identified you by all the people you were related to. He had two wives, which meant he didn't have much peace. I had to throw that in there. (laughs) And you're going to see what I'm talking about in just a minute. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penaniah. And Penaniah had children. But Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penel, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why are you not eating? Why is your heart sad? And am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in shallow, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life But I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Now let's get the picture here. Hannah is a lady who is dedicated to the Lord and yet year after year after year goes by and she does not have children. In those days for a Jewish woman, childbearing was considered extremely important. All Jewish women hoped to have the opportunity to have the Messiah and so the fact that she couldn't have a child meant that there was no hope that she would bear the Messiah. It was also huge about having self-esteem and sort of proving your femininity. And it was considered a disgrace for a lady not to have a child. So she's struggling with all of that. And then it says that God had closed her womb. So the Lord almost seemed to be punishing her for her commitment to Him. To make matters worse, her husband takes a second wife to see if the second wife will bear children. Now, in those days in Middle Eastern culture, it was totally acceptable to do that. And this second wife comes along, and she seems to be a baby factory. I mean, she's just producing kids one right after the other. And so Hannah looks at that, and it just really begins to just just tear her all to pieces. Now, to make things worse, once a year they go to the temple, and they give out these sacrifices. And when the sacrificing was over with, what was left over, the husband would give out to the members of the family. And he goes to the first, the second wife who's having all the kids. And he didn't give her a whole lot. But then he goes over to Hannah and he really dumps it on her. Now, if you want to have conflict in a home, have two women you're trying to make happy at the same time and treat one better than you treat the other. And, you know, it's interesting this passage of Scripture doesn't say anything about uh, the husband Elkanah having any peace because I don't think he had too much peace going on with how he was handling his family life, etc. So this is the situation that's going on here. Now... This is Hannah's biggest trouble. It's not the wife that's producing all the kids. Her biggest problem was God. Because she was serving the Lord and she was committed to the Lord and she was following the Lord and year by year went by and she did not have any children. And the scripture particularly says here that God was the one that was causing her not to have children. So her problem ultimately was God. Folks, when you walk with the Lord, sooner or later, you're going to have problems with Him. He is not going to do what we expect Him to do, what we want Him to do, and sometimes He doesn't even do what He seems to have promised He would do. I mean, wasn't it God back at Genesis who commanded humanity to multiply, replenish, and fill the earth? And here God's not even allowing one of His servants to do that. When you and I follow the Lord, sooner or later, we're going to walk into what I call the fog of the mystery of God. Now, when you go into a fog, the best thing to do is to slow down and perhaps even to stand still. The worst thing to do in a fog is to speed up. And the mystery of God's work in our lives usually is going to show up in some type of fog. And the worst thing we can do is floorboard it. The best thing we can do in the fog of the mystery of God's work is slow down and even stop and say, God, I need to discern where you are, what you're saying, and what you're doing. She was struggling with the silence of God. And folks, we live in a culture that so conditions us that whatever is important and whatever we listen to is noisy, and God doesn't act like that. In fact, often the work that God does in our lives is going to be done in silence. Some of the greatest work that God does in your life is going to be done in silence. And just because God is silent doesn't mean he's not at work. Now, I want to differentiate between what I call divine silence and just silence. Silence means that nothing is happening, divine silence means that it's quiet, but God is at work. Hannah had divine silence, it seemed like God wasn't at work. But divine silence means that God is there in the mystery of the fog. The fog of His mystery that may be surrounding your life doesn't mean that God isn't at work. He is at work all around us. We just got to get in touch with it. Hannah's there and she's just surrounded in the mystery of God. But listen, when we don't understand what God is doing and when God seems like a mystery to us, that fog is engulfing us. We are engulfed in the presence of God. It is not that we are separated from the presence of God. It is rather that we have been thrust into the very essence of the presence of God. And the first step often of being thrust into the journey, into God's presence and God's work, is the mystery of His silence. Wednesday night of this past week, we were in Sandbridge, and we were about two blocks off the ocean, and there was fog that rolled in off the ocean. If you've ever been around fog that rolls in off the ocean, I think it's about the thickest fog you can get, and I walk my dog usually at 9 o'clock. Now, if you ever meet my dog, you understand why I walk him after dark because Reggie is so hyperactive that I try to wait till the streets are clear of dogs and other human beings when I walk him out there. So Reggie and I go out at 9 o'clock, and I notice that the fog was starting to build in, and by the time I get out there on the road with Reggie, I mean, it is so thick, we could, you could hardly see your hand in front of your face. I could feel my clothing beginning to pick up moisture. There was so much fog hanging out there. And folks, when you and I... Follow the Lord, and God bathes us and surrounds us in the fog of His mysterious work. And we say, God, I don't understand where you are. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand the silence. It doesn't mean that God's not there. It means the exact opposite. The Lord is bathing you in His presence. He is bringing you into the essence of what he is doing. But notice the struggle that happens here. She goes in before the Lord, verse 10, and she begins to cry and she begins to weep bitterly there in the temple. Interesting word that he uses there it says, bitterly. She was frustrated with God. Why wasn't God answering? Why wasn't God working? Why did she have no children in this? Other lady seemed to have one kid after another. She was struggling with bitterness towards God. And then she reaches that place of ultimate struggle, verse 11, which is to me the key to this whole story. Notice how she reaches out to God. She says, you are Lord of hosts. Now, I want to look at that title for God because, folks, this whole story evolves around the name of God that she uses there. The word Lord, capital O-R-L-O-R-D, is the covenant name for God pronounced either Jehovah or Yahweh as best we can tell. And that name basically is the name God gave to his people to say, I am committed to you. God is saying, I am committing myself to you. So what Hannah is saying there in that temple is, God... I don't understand you, and I don't understand your mystery, and I don't understand your silence, but I know that you're the God who has committed himself to me, and I am calling you Lord. I am calling you Yahweh, because Yahweh, I believe that even in this silence, you are committed to me. Folks, if if I come to you as a friend, and I talk a whole lot, well, that may sound like friendship, but if I silently walk with you and my actions and my silence say to you that whatever you go through, I'm going to be there and I'm going to walk with you, that's the greatest commitment I can demonstrate. And that's what God was saying to Hannah. Hannah, right here in the midst of the confusion and the loneliness and the emptiness and the mystery, I'm committed to you. And she's saying, God, I'm going to call you Lord. I'm going to keep on calling you Yahweh because I believe that you're committed to me. Now, the next term is Lord of hosts. That's an interesting term. It means army, warrior, all-powerful. God, in this silence, you are committed to me and you are committed to me as the God who is all-powerful who fights on my behalf. And God, I am trusting you to be the one who's going to see me through this as the one who has got an army to see me through this. Notice verse 11 again. I want you to see how she refers to herself. She will use servant three times. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Three times in that prayer, she uses the word servant. She is saying to God, Lord, I'm committing myself to you as your servant. Great struggle leads to full submission which leads to great peace. A great struggle will lead us to full submission which will lead us to great peace. What happens in this story is that she stands there in the presence of the Lord and she says, God, I'm keeping you to your word. And Lord, I am submitting myself as your servant, the way I understand who I am in relation to you is I am your servant. So if you give me a child, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to wean him, which back in that day meant to about five or six years of age. And then I'm going to give him to you, Lord, so that he can be used of you in any way you choose to use him for the rest of your, his life. I don't think Hannah would ever have gotten to that place had it not been for the struggle that she had to get to that place. And God had to take her through that difficult struggle to get her to the place of full surrender of her child that she hadn't even had yet. Why was God doing that? Because God needed a great prophet to raise up, to speak to Israel. And he needed a mother who was totally sold out to him to raise a child that would be totally sold out to him to turn a nation back to him. Are you following me on that? He needed a mom totally sold out to him to raise a child committed to him to turn a nation back to him. And folks, when God takes you through a rough time and a period of silence and you wonder where is God and what is God doing, God is doing a work. But folks, the work is bigger than us and it is beyond us. And what God is trying to accomplish in us is something that He will use to bless and turn people to Him. It is not just about my life's journey. It is about the life's journey of so many other people. Years and years and years later after she prayed this prayer, I would imagine that Hannah as an old lady sat back and she looked at her adult son Samuel and she saw the prophecies of God coming through him and she saw how God was using Samuel to speak to the nation of Israel and turn them back and she must have sat back and said, Now I understand what God was up to. I didn't understand it then, but now I understand that God was up to something way beyond me. Way beyond me. But man, I had to struggle to get there. I had to cry to get there. And folks, we don't get to the peace of God easy. We want to think we get to the peace of God easy. But so often the journey to the peace of God, to the wholeness that God has for us, is a journey of struggle, is a journey of agony. But when we get to that place of submission... Then we get to the place that His peace, His wholeness, His harmony is produced in our lives. That song I begin with, I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river in my soul. The last stanza says, I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river, and it's all because of Jesus. Yes, it's all because of Jesus. Yes, it's all because of Jesus in my soul. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for every person in this room who feels like they are in the fog of your mystery right now. Some may be going into that fog, some may be in it right now. Lord, may we realize that when we're in those times that the fog is not our enemy that slowing down and stopping is not a bad thing, that the fog of your mystery of what you're doing around us, Lord, God, that that heaviness of who you are and what you're doing is a good thing. It is a blessing. You are surrounding us. And the more, Lord, you surround us with who you are and what you are, often the less we discern it because that just shows us how great you are, your holiness, your love, your power. But Lord, teach us to be like Hannah. To say you are the God who has committed yourself to us. And Lord, we're going to trust you. And Lord, we're going to say to you, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. I'm your servant. And then, Lord, we're going to hear the words after we've struggled to that place of submission go in peace. Go in the wholeness of God, in the completeness of the Lord. Go in the harmony and the contentment that, Lord, you produce in us. Go in peace. our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, and you've never said to Jesus, I will follow you and I will trust you with my life, I will take all that I am and I will give it to all Jesus that you are, then you don't know his peace, but you can know his peace today, and I want to invite you in just a moment as we sing... To walk this aisle, I would love to pray with you as you say to him, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want to be your servant. As we sing, if you're struggling with something in your life, and you say, Pastor, I sense that I'm in that mystery of the silence of God. I don't understand what God's doing, but I just want to say to him that I know he's committed to me, and I am trusting him, and I, Lord Jesus, am your servant then I invite you to just make that commitment to Him and pray that to Him. And the altar is open if you need to come down front and just get on your knees before the Lord and and work that out with Him. God's speaking to you and saying He wants you to be part of this church family. We invite you to come and, and join here with us as we serve Jesus. Whatever God's call, whatever God's work in these moments, I encourage you to reach out to Him. Lord, have your way with us, and may we, Lord, be your servant. In your name we pray, amen.